Welcome to Acton Line, the podcast of the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. I'm Eric Cohn, executive producer. It's been a challenging year. A global pandemic, violent unrest in the streets of major American cities, and a divisive presidential election have all challenged us in different ways, testing the strength of civil society and institutions at both the local and national level. Throughout the year, Acton's president and co-founder, Reverend Robert Sirico, has offered commentary on these events as they unfolded. Now, at the end of the year, I spoke with Reverend Sirico to get his reflections on the year as it comes to a close, to see how we handled the unique trials we encountered in our public life in 2020, and how the principles articulated by the Acton Institute guided us through these trying times and will continue to provide a mechanism for gaining understanding and perspective on our world in 2021. You can find additional resources in the show notes for this episode, as well as find previous episodes of Acton Line on our website at acton.org slash actonline. And if you like this program, you can help us reach even more listeners by sharing it with a friend and leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We welcome your comments as well. Acton Line is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. I'm joined now by Reverend Robert Sirico, who is the president and co-founder of the Acton Institute. Uh, Father Sirico, thanks so much for joining us on this episode. Well, of course. Thank you very much for having me. So 2020 has been quite a year. Oh, really? Yeah. I hadn't noticed. Uh, a master of understatement that I am there. Uh, <laughs> it, you know, it, we could just, for a moment, I, I've been reflecting on people, you know, who are doing an interview like this or writing a, a letter or a fundraiser. And it always starts with the genuflection yes. to this year, which is, is appropriate enough, but it's becoming rather redundant. <laughs> I you're not wrong about that. It's uh, the thing I first tired of was in commercials, the in these troubled times, which began every commercial for or, or the the other phrase that will probably make the books this year is uh, with a um, uh, preeminence of precaution or how does that go? Uh, an abundance of caution, I think. Yeah, abundance of, yes. course, of caution. That's it. <laughs> I enjoyed it in the commercial sense as it became increasingly detached from what they were trying to attach it to, which is, you know, in right. these troubled times, I need a Toyota. Right. Um, yeah, <laughs> I guess. Erectile dysfunction. Yes. In these troubled times. And it sounds like a movie promo, you know. Le- uh, far less. Well, I don't know. Given how uh, how much people have been locked inside, um, yes. I don't know. That may be more connected than the Toyota. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it that way. No, that's okay. It's okay. It, it becomes so rote, you don't even realize you're doing it anymore. Um, it's, it's true. It's true, isn't it? So... Everything was disrupted really back in March when this pandemic really hit this country. And you offered some thoughts and commentary as this pandemic evolved forward over the first several months of it. I'm curious, looking back at your thoughts at the time, now that we're at the end of the year, now that we're at a time when the vaccine for the coronavirus is being distributed, which looks to be the best gateway we have to getting back to some semblance of normality. I'm curious what your thoughts are on the year and what we've learned from the experience we all had with this pandemic we didn't really see coming. Well, I, you know, I, I do think this is a good 
stopping point to kind of collect our our understanding of what's happening. But let me say right now that I don't think we are through this. Um, this is too rich an opportunity for people who want to build a dependency upon the state to let it just go. And they haven't even um, voted as we're recording this now on the, the next stimulus bill. So I think there is going to be uh, a continuation of at the very least the economic consequences of this going into the next generation or generations. And I think also the regulatory apparatus, because, and, and this is perhaps the most um, disconcerting thing, because if there's any one thing we've learned from the, our whole experience right from the beginning, it's that the state has hampered the knowledge, the confusion about what this, what a pandemic is, what it means, how to protect ourselves from it, uh, how to plan for it, uh, how to intelligently uh, protect the populace. If there's anything we've learned, it's that the state has hampered this in terms of the regulations. And, and you mentioned the, the vaccines, which are now just uh, being shipped from, by the way, Michigan, within a few miles of where I'm sitting, produced by private companies. But having to get the kind of regulatory permissions which would have been available probably uh, much sooner. Because let's remember that the companies themselves that are producing these vaccines are the ones most interested in their effectiveness. So the bureaucrats are just adding layer upon layer of regulation. And I think if there's anything to be credited to the Trump administration is that that he was a bull in the china shop about this. He harangued people until this stuff was was produced and, and got through the bureaucratic morass. So I think those kinds of things that I was talking about at the beginning have only kind of come into full technicolor now, if you will. There's a fascinating piece in, uh, in New York Magazine uh, several days ago yes. that talked about how the Moderna vaccine was developed really over a weekend. It took them two days to develop the vaccine, and it was ready to be manufactured on January 13th, which is before we even had a, uh, a death in this country that was accredited to the uh, COVID-19 virus. Right. And the entire remaining period of time is what they have to run through in terms of testing and meeting the uh, qualifications from the FDA in order to release it. I think one of the things that's going to be interesting to look back on is the the dynamism in the private sector there to create this in such an incredibly fast timeline yeah. so that we had the tools we needed all along right. and how that process gets slowed down when it comes into collision with the state. This needs to be amplified because this could be one of the the kind of inverse crisis in Leviathan. This is the um, the theme of uh, some of what I said, referencing Robert Higgs's book. Um, that when you have a crisis, you have a Leviathan response to it, and it never quite goes back to where it was the first time. This may be a reverse effect. That if if we can 
amplify what just what you just said, how how quickly it was developed. Of course, we want to have all of the necessary testing and the precaution, all of the rest of that done. The pretense is that the state has some um, efficacious role in this. And, and I think other than a um, maintenance of a legal apparatus to ensure that people are responsible for what they produce and that it is what they say it is, uh, and to ensure that, uh, I think it's that bureaucrats have to protect their little part of the pie and they have to please supervisors who are always um, very resistant to, to change. It's the antithesis of the entrepreneurial spirit, which is willing to you know, take some chances and risk. The bureaucrat who holds back a life-saving development at the FDA, no one knows that person's name, but the person who greenlights something like thalidomide, that's the person that gets hauled before Congress. Exactly. So in, in terms of in retrospect of those, those things, I think that would be those um, episodes that I did. Uh, I think a lot of that lesson about the state being opaque, uh, about it being moribund. Uh, I think those are things that, uh, you know, as I look back on them, uh, sound pretty good from this perspective. Let's turn our attention now to the church. So we've seen a lot of litigation this year. The church was certainly subjected to churches everywhere uh, to the same kind of restrictions that businesses saw, that any places of public gatherings saw. Uh, we've seen some vindications in recent days. Um, the diocese in Brooklyn, which brought suit in New York, that was taken all the way to the Supreme Court, and uh, the restrictions pl in place in New York were struck down as, as a result of that. Yes. Uh, as you look back, how do you think the church handled the circumstance that they were, or churches in general, or speak to uh, however you want, um, the circumstances that they were forced into with the restrictions that were placed on them in a way that seemed to suggest that they aren't considered essential services in the way that I think we understand them to be. Well, I think what's obvious now is that the secularist bias in the political uh, sphere was made manifest in that they would allow uh, sometimes next door to each other strip clubs to function and churches had to close with with you know uh, the the bias in terms of the application of the law again the question is who really cares more about the constituencies uh, politicians or pastors. Uh, I think the response on the part of the religious community, because we, we have to speak here now in a very ecumenical uh, context, has been various. Uh, a number of um, the Protestant evangelical churches have been good. Some have been irresponsible, I would say, you know, where they just want to disregard it and pray it away. But a number of the evangelical churches have, have brought these points, the unfairness, the inequality, uh, and the necessity of having um, uh, services that provide for more than just the physical care of people. I mean, we're seeing this now, too, with the 
reports on suicide and depression and domestic violence and, and the like. And the church plays a an indispensable role in ameliorating so much of that. So I think the evangelical churches have largely done well. The, the, the Orthodox Jewish community uh, has responded marvelously um, and heroically, I think, and were persecuted for it. In all places, New York, where you'd think that a, a mayor uh, would be a little more sensitive, even on top of being caught in his own hypocrisy. Uh, that was one of the points that um, I made during the during the course of the events. Um, and you, you've rightly pointed out someone like uh, Bishop De Marzio in Brooklyn and also Cordelione in San Francisco. These are two heroic bishops um, among several others. But I have to say, in my own estimation, the Catholic Bishops' Conference has been anemic and weak in their response, um, almost reluctant to say anything that would contradict um, the various you know, agencies that were controlling this thing. And what a powerful force the Bishops' Conference could have been had it taken taken this thing on more directly. Again, uh, responsibly. I'm not just saying to be defiant for the sake of being defiant, but to say, look, we, we have a handle on this. We know we'll, we'll consult with our doctors and then we will proceed in the best way we think. But we've gone without Easter, which was um, very traumatic for a lot of reasons within the Catholic world. Uh, because this is the time where we receive people into the church and, and all that. Um, and then now we're facing the same, a similar thing with Christmas, although I think we're all a little, little wiser now about all of this. The secular bias and in, in the way the state has approached this that you have mentioned um, that stuck out to me with erasing the issues that we have seen with rise in uh, people who have reported that they've considered suicide, the loss of life to suicide, um, things like domestic violence. Uh, it, have we just, is, is the state in, engaging in that kind of secular bias? Do they just disregard the real nature of us as human beings that need to be social with each other, that have needs beyond just the simple things that they think that they can provide to us with uh, a check or special permissions to go to the grocery store? I, I honestly don't think they even think about it. I, I mean, a lot of these people are not churchgoers. Um, they've so acclimated to a sanitized public square that uh, – reference to the transcendent, to God, to spirituality just doesn't exist and is actually considered impolite <laughs> when it's mentioned. So I, I just don't think it's in their consciousness. And especially when you have this kind of hegemonic professionalism, that is a very narrow professionalism that is concerned only, for instance, in medicine, only with the person as patient and not as a person. Uh, it's the old adage, I think I've referred to it before somewhere, uh, that to a hammer, everything is a nail. And so in the political sphere, it's weighing how th this is going to affect the vote. 
uh, or you know how we can allocate these resources. So uh, I think that's that's largely the problem. It fails to see the full depth of community uh, for having seen it only through a, a political lens. Um, uh, by the way, I think that the politicians, and this isn't a conversation that I've heard raised yet, but I would predict in about six or eight months, uh, maybe toward the end of next year, this will come up. And that is the, uh, the lessening flow of revenue from having closed down all these businesses. Who's going to pay for all of this? I mean, you, you, it's not just that you close the businesses, you closed your tax base. Mm-hmm. And, and how are we going to make up for that? So I, I, that's why I say I don't think this thing is over at all. I mean, we, we, we still have the, um, what is it, $14 trillion worth of debt, trillion. Uh, and they're still talking about cooking up some more when what they could have done was have pronounced a tax holiday from the beginning. With what you mentioned there about that you don't think politicians, bureaucrats consider the full nature of the human person as all and, and at all in their considerations and, and their actions do seem to suggest that. I think this is also underscored by something else you mentioned, which was the hypocrisy that we're seeing from people who are in positions of leadership. And perhaps the most stark example and striking example of this is the mayor of Austin, Texas, uh, advising people to stay home, to not travel, um, recording that message on a Zoom call. On his way to the airport. Well, from from Cabo (laughs) San Lucas. Um, which is, do you think as a result of, of what we've witnessed basically from... There's no shame. And, and there doesn't seem to be a lot in a lot of these political leaders because they're we replete with examples of uh, other people saying one thing and doing another, telling the public to do one thing and then doing another themselves. Sure. Do you think... Um, I mean, it started with La, Madonna lamenting the, the isolation of people as she sat in a rose uh, rose floating uh, tub. And then, of course, the Kadashians from exotic locations pouncing on the the sadness of this. But from politicians, this is this is really galling. It is. I'm do you think that this combined with the experience people have had will lead to people demanding better. We seem to live in a very cynical time right now where people just expect this of politicians. Do you think the justified anger that people will feel over the way that life has been lived for the last nine months combined with um, these political leaders' desire and willingness to flout it will change what they're demanding of leaders at all? It will not happen unless people are... uh unless connections are made for people. That is, people can have a lot of emotion about a thing. And the direction that that energy takes depends on how they are, how they see the things, how, how coherent their own philosophy or how they see society uh, structured. If they see it, and th- this is a concern that I have, I think there's a great deal of complexity. I, I, I want to encourage uh, a certain amount of um, suspicion of government involvement. But that's not to say that I don't believe in government. It's not to say that I don't believe in the civic order, much less the social order. Uh, And my fear is that a lot of people grow so frustrated 
that the um, suspicion they have of government becomes cynicism of social relations as a whole. And when you have that breakdown of an ethos, uh, of a belief in um, a society that can, can be free and can be prosperous and can be life engendering where communities support one another, where neighbors act as neighbors to those who are in need, when that all breaks down, and I think that's a lot of what we're seeing now, um, this gets dangerous. It, you know, we, we should not in any way hesitate to criticize the obtuseness of bureaucrats and, and government planning and the way in which it, it has this pretense to knowing what's really going on. We shouldn't hesitate to say all of that, but we need to say it at the same time that we're pointing to the way in which uh, people relate to one another as neighbors when they're allowed to, when they're not hindered by regulations, excessive taxation, various kinds of zoning laws, restrictions on religious liberty and other community events. These things have to go together or you end up having this kind of cynical chaos that we're seeing around us. Maybe what we can hope for is that this kind of hypocrisy, the experience we've had, seems to me the kind of thing that will only continue to erode uh, our faith in institutions as they exist now, but that our reaction to that, this would be the, the hopeful take, our reaction to that is to not kind of roll our eyes and grow cynical, as I think as a society we've done for a number of the most recent years, but instead do what uh, traditionally we have done in those circumstances where we lose faith in institutions, which is build new ones. Yes. Uh, get together and find ways to build new institutions to solve the problems be when we re realize that the old institutions weren't addressing them anymore. Well, yes, and that's going to take that's going to take a while to do. Um, the advantage we have uh, is that we have this new means of communicating. You know, and just in the last year, of course, as an institution, the Acton Institute, which has largely depended on. Um, uh, conferences of various sizes and various kinds and locations, we've had, like everybody else, have had to kind of adapt ourselves to various other alternatives. So what gives me some hope is that while we have to do this work of rebuilding institutions and understanding what is what makes for that to happen, uh, we do have a technology that enables us to do that at at a level and a speed that we've never had before in history. Let's let the pandemic, we can't really move past it, so let's just let it recede a bit into the background to address a couple other issues from the year. Okay. Uh, there are two things that stand out to me. Um, the civil unrest and the rioting that we saw earlier this year, and civil unrest and... Um, some rioting that we're seeing now in the aftermath of the election, rather than dwell on um, those two particular instances themselves, perhaps it would be better to address, it seems that we are a nation and a world to a great extent too, in need of some healing and some ways to come together. How do we go about beginning that process? Well, these, these are unsettling um, currents that we see. I mean, the, the confusion over politics, the racial tensions, these, 
these are unsettling things and they, they disrupt society. And I think largely this happens when we forget human nature. I mean, when we, we forget the dignity of the human person, uh, where do our rights come from? You know, our rights don't come from government. Our rights come from our nature. And I think these, these are issues that need to be re retrieved, understood once more. Uh, and so much of the, um, the sectors of society that, that were the guardians of that, the articulators of that vision of human dignity, of, of transcendence and the, and the rest, have been weakened. Weakened from within because of a lack of confidence in their own uh, beliefs and weakened, as we've already discussed politically, uh, institutionally by uh, the kinds of regulations that have made life more difficult. So we, we really need to return to these things and acknowledge the problems that exist. It seems to me, now maybe it's just me, I, I've just always been a curious person. I mean, if you went through my library and I wasn't in the room, I'll, I'll bet you that you wouldn't know where I was coming from politically. You'd know I have a heavy interest in certain areas, you know, theology or economics and stuff. But in terms of the books that are there, I mean, there's, there's an incredible diversity of these, uh, these ideas. And I, I think that curiosity that I have has always um, prompted me to, to want to listen to people that, that I disagree with and, and not listen in a kind of passive way, but in a curious way and in a respectful way. And so respectful that I'm willing to disagree and say it. <laughs> and I think we've lost that curiosity. He, here's the, the trait of the modern moment uh, politically is we want to shut people up. We, we don't want to listen to them. We want to articulate our facts and then when we're done and you go to say something about them, we want to say them again <laughs> and say them again and again and again and to shut you up. And I think you're seeing that on the streets. I think you're seeing that in the halls of Congress. Uh, people no longer want to engage the idea. Uh, it's what's been called the cancel culture. So we don't allow any permission for people, it really tolerance for people to disagree uh, with things. And then, uh, especially when you have this robust faith in the power of government, you want to institute that by law. So you make things and speech and even thoughts illegal and prosecutable. Um, and I think that's <laughs> that augurs uh, the worst for society. Something I thought more about recently in the context of those ideas that uh, those thoughts that can't be shared, that can't be spoken. Um, it, it, as I read back through history, you look at a lot of truly 
brilliant people who changed the world for the better, who were incredible creative minds and inventors and entrepreneurs, who also had some really wild ideas. You know, Th Thomas Edison's drive to create a lot of the things he invented was because he wanted to commune with the dead. Right. Um, the kinds of things that we would look at now and say, this is too eccentric for, uh, for us. We don't want someone expressing these ideas that we view as uncouth. Um, and we spent, a, well, it seems we spent a good portion of e each year talking about, uh, you've raised the Kardashians, I'll now raise Kanye West, that Kanye West says some crazy things, and he also makes some amazing music, and I don't think you get the two without each other. And to bring it back to the point of the human person, um, we seem to want to get rid of certain things in our human nature that we just don't like rather than being uh, somewhat accepting of the things that make us uncomfortable and uh, trying to understand who we really are as individual people. Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, I didn't know who the Kardashians were until about a year ago. And I still really don't know who they are and what little I've seen. I don't want to know any more about it. <laughs> um, and Kanye West, I, I was asked to be on national television to, to comment on him. And I didn't want to pass up the opportunity <laughs> to be on, uh, you know, TV for, you know, get our ideas out. But I had to do a, a research on him. And I think this Kanye West is a very interesting character. And he's got a lot of bizarre ideas, but he's got a lot of pretty good ideas. And as to his music, I, 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 I don't know. I'm agnostic on, on the music. It's not my, my generation of music. But it, it kind of reminds me of um, my home growing up. I mean, there were lots of viewpoints being expressed. And, you know, if you, if you took snippets of it, you could make us very harsh and uncaring people. But I lived in the middle of that in three dimensions. And was it dysfunctional? Absolutely. But was it hateful? No. Even if some of the language back in the 50s that was used, which was much more acceptable then, to my mind, and even as growing up, I didn't like it. Uh, but I, I see the whole context of people, you know, the Archie Bunker character of the 1970s was a lovable character because there was something in him that was worthy of, of respect, even if he was the dumbest guy on the block. Well, he was the guy who was working multiple jobs in order to provide for his family, making sacrifices right. in ways that um, we don't seem to lionize as much anymore. And that is one of those great examples of the character that the creator thought would be the beloved character of the show was not the beloved character of the show, as the storytelling kind of took its own life as people viewed it and people sympathized, even if they may have disliked some of Archie Bunker's views on certain things, Certainly. they empathized with the character in a way that I don't think they were expecting to. It, and I think the reason, the, the difference today is that we cancel all that out, that we don't see any of that. We only see this one dimension of it. I mean, um, I remember once I was at an evangelical meeting and I was in the collar, a Catholic priest, and somebody from a distance was talking to a friend of mine. And I saw that they, I presume they were talking about me, just kind of the gestures and the looks. And when my friend came back over, I said, did, was, did that, what did that guy say? He said, oh, nothing, nothing. 
I said, no, I'm just, I'm just curious. He said, no, 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 I, I don't want to mention it. I, I could see it was an awkward situation. I said, come on, just tell me, I'm curious. He said, well, he asked me if you knew Jesus. <laughs> and he thought I'd be just terribly offended by that. And I said, go back and tell him, not only do I know Jesus, but I know his mother as well. <laughs> I, I guess what I, I'm saying by that is I wanted to engage the guy. And I, I know people today get very offended when they say, well, you know, you, he wants to convert me. Uh, I welcome Jehovah's Witnesses to come to my door, you know, or Mormons to have a conversation if they'll have, an, a, you know, a, a good conversation about it. And so I, I know the chances are we're going to walk away disagreeing with each other, but I'm going to come away a little more informed, at least on that person's perspective, that person's life. And I, I think we're losing this sense of liberality. That's really what I'm talking about, an authentic liberalism. Let's move to one last thing. Um, so we've we've discussed a lot of what have been the difficulties of 2020. Let's look forward. Um, as you reflect on the year that we've experienced, what are you most hopeful about for this next year? Well, again, it's not going to happen by itself. The thing I'm most hopeful for will only happen if people who have an understanding of what's going on or what has gone on can make the case, make a compelling case for it. And it is this. In theology, we call it the via negativa, the, the negative way of learning a truth. Uh, and I think we have a rich opportunity to engage the via negativa. That is to see what went wrong and how we can learn from what went wrong. But the reason I want to underscore the necessity of um, having a coherent vision of society is because we can just have the via negativa and become negative ourselves. We, we need to kind of approach this with an understanding of what makes society cohere. How, how do people collaborate, work with one another, challenge one another? Um, how, how can we go about doing that? And that, I think, is based on, you know, the, the very things that we talk so much about at the Acton Institute, a proper view of the human person, anthropology, and building on that a pop, proper view of society and the family and law and economy. Uh, all of these things need to kind of come together, but it's all rooted in the necessity of a person to have freedom, to engage his or her mind, his intellect in, uh, in engaging the world, the material world, the necessity of freedom because of our transcendence and our dignity. To put that idea of the via negativa in a um, another philosopher's words, uh, Edmund Burke, example is the school of mankind, and he shall learn at no other. And we have a lot of examples that we can learn from, and, and hopefully we do take those lessons that we and the people take them in consideration of the principles that the Acton Institute articulates and uh, applies them to our lives going forward. I think we can all be hopeful for that. Yes, well, I, I, I can say this, uh, and for our friends who are, who are listening to this, we have not lost one ounce 
of confidence in our ideas or enthusiasm in uh, letting people know about these ideas. So uh, I just ask you, join your energy to ours. Uh, be part of this growing constituency. Uh, you know, our programs actually under this circumstance have expanded. So please get on board. It's going to be a fun trip going ahead, especially when we can be with each other again personally. Hopefully that will be soon. Reverend Robert Sirico is the president and co-founder of the Acton Institute. Father, thanks so much for joining us for this episode. Uh, Merry Christmas and a happy new year. God bless. Merry Christmas and a very blessed, safe and prosperous new year. As always, thank you so much for listening today. Our team loves putting this show together for you every week, and it's so encouraging to hear from our listeners. Feedback is incredibly important to us because it lets us know what you like to hear more of, including the kinds of topics you're interested in most. If you have comments, feedback, or ideas for a show topic or interesting guest, you can reach our team at actonline at acton.org. Until next week, for Act in Line, I'm Eric Cohn.